Founders often ask me how to up-level their leadership teams. Their questions might include, how do I help my functional leaders grow with my company? How do I know if my functional leader is ready to be an executive? Or how do I set expectations with them? When we were experiencing hypergrowth at Gainsight, I wanted to make sure that my direct reports were growing their own skills as fast as the company's requirements were changing. So I teamed up with a stellar executive coach to create a framework for what it means to be a strong executive. David Lesser is a leadership coach, but more than that, he's a philosophical guru. I worked with him for several years at Gainsight. His focus is on helping CEOs and executives with self-actualization, which he strongly believes makes them better leaders. In this podcast, David and I discussed why is it important to set expectations for executives apart from the targets on your metrics dashboard or the requirements in their job description? What are the four competencies that executives should demonstrate? And why is there no universal definition of a stellar VP of sales? You can listen to the podcast or else read the lightly edited transcript. If you scroll way to the bottom of the transcript, you'll see the actual guide that I use for coaching my executives at Gainsight. I always love conversations with David and you'll see why once you listen to this episode. Enjoy. David, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, my pleasure. We go way back. We do. We started working together back when I was at Gainsight a couple of years in. And, you know, I'm so grateful for all the things that I've learned from you over the years as an executive coach, a leadership coach. And I'm really excited to share with the audience some of the things that, you know, you've taught me along the way. Well, thank you. And I learned most of what I learned from my clients. So (laughs) (laughs) it's been a two-way street. Great. Well, this will be a special conversation. Yep. We're here today to talk about executive competencies, meaning what makes a great executive. Now, I think often when CEOs think about what makes a great executive, their mind goes to the job description that they usually post when they're recruiting for a role, whether it's their first VP of sales, their first VP of marketing. Obviously, job descriptions are important. They help you evaluate candidates, set the initial expectations when someone joins a company. But I think job descriptions are quickly forgotten. And I think there are probably other reasons why a job description is insufficient for setting expectations for your executives. I'd love to hear your take on why is the job description insufficient? What you're looking for is to grow people, to have a growth mindset. You don't just want people to do more stuff. You want them to grow their capacity. If you have people with more capacity, you as a leader have more capacity, more success. So the growth mindset is really about empowering people to discover their gifts, strengths, and talents, and to create the most conducive setting to express them. And I think that's what it's all about. And just having like, oh, really do this job description well is not aspirational enough. What you want to do is have some kind of way of telling people, hey, I want to see you grow in maybe these four dimensions, or, or I see your potential as um, evolving, showing itself in, in this way. And if you can tell people where they're headed, they're more likely to get there. You mentioned four dimensions, and I don't think that's an accident because you do have a framework that has four dimensions in it describing the different types of competencies that executives have. Could you walk us through what that framework is and also how you came up with it? The four are awareness, first of all, and that's your ability to know what's going on around you and in particular to know what impact you're having. Most people, I think, go through life surprised if they were really aware of what's happening because of their actions and their expressions, 
they'd get surprises. So a, a highly competent executive is aware of how what he's bringing is impacting the people around him. And that comes from self-awareness. You become aware of who you are and what's coming through you. And all growth, I think, starts with self-awareness. When you're aware of what's happening in you and where your strengths and weaknesses are, then you grow. So that's why awareness is right up there as one of the four competencies. Second is power, which is the power to get stuff done. And it's the power to confront challenges, the power to focus. It has to do with discipline. It has to do with clarity. It has to do with skillful handling of conflict. It has to do with being direct and upfront, transparent, candid. And uh, an executive that doesn't have the power to get stuff done isn't going to get very far. Three is confidence, which is a little more of an elusive quality. I think it's the ability to inspire others, but in many ways, it's among the most important things you want to see in a leader. You and I have both been in situations where we've hired a new leader for the same team and suddenly the team performs at an extraordinarily higher level. And it's because of this quality of confidence, which is ultimately the confidence to be yourself and therefore to inspire others to be fully themselves and bring their best stuff. And when the people around you are believing in a compelling, positive future and wanting to bring their best stuff for you, great things start to happen, bigger things start to happen than where the confidence is low. And the fourth competence is connection. It's that ability to make people feel like they're part of the team, that they belong here, that this is a place where they're cared for, where it matters that they are part of the community of the whole culture. And people feel like they've got access to you, like they're not just foreigners in a strange land, but they're working with somebody who really gets that. When you have a team that feels like they belong, you get people willing to go the extra mile in ways that they just won't go if they're being treated like robots. Absolutely. I remember when we first discussed this framework, there was a sort of symbol of each of these four yes. dimensions. I'm going to try to remember them. But I don't think I'll get all of them. The seer was the symbol of awareness. Yes. Someone who can kind of intuit, perceive things. Power was symbolized by the warrior. Yes. Confidence was symbolized by the queen or king because they have the kind of gravitas that yes. inspires other people. I'm forgetting what connection was symbolized by. Maybe an empath or the lover. That makes sense because it's about building relationships. Yes, and feeling. And those are Jungian archetypes, but the whole framework was originally developed, University of Chicago, both the psychology department and anthropology department got together. So they studied how symbols and traditions and rituals through the ages, indigenous peoples, connected with both Freudian Adlerian and Jungian psychology, and a mentor of mine, Robert Moore, boiled it down to these four basic directions, and that's wonderful. And then it was translated into a very usable form by my very good friend, Cliff Barry of shadowwork.com, who uh, developed processes that help people grow in each of these four dimensions. It's so powerful to think about these four, and I think in part because I don't think I've ever heard of an executive being evaluated based on these four attributes, frankly, outside the thing that we put together <laughs> when I was looking to help the executives on my team grow in, in different ways. Why think that companies don't currently formally evaluate their executives on these dimensions or help train them on these things specifically? Well, measuring self-realization 
growth as a human being and as a leader is a really hard thing to do. You could say it's subjective and a lot of people have blind spots. They can't actually see how aware people are or how powerful they are or how connected they are or how confident they are. And uh, other people see in a strange way. It's like they want their people to just be more efficient or something, or they want their people to be more nice or something. And so one of the things that looking at four different directions does for us is it gives you the chance to see through different viewpoints and have a, a more balanced view as a result. It sounds like probably very thoughtful CEOs who want to help their employees and leaders fully self-realize would pay attention to this kind of framework more. Whereas if you're really, if you're looking for someone who's just going to do what you tell them to do or mold into a particular narrowly defined culture, this is probably not a framework that you're going to be drawn to. That's right. And I think the great leaders are people who encourage people to be fully themselves. So, you know, if you wanted to do it with math or with a kind of measurable academic framework, that's harder because people are complicated. Yeah. So you've got to be like, interested in them. Who are you? How can I help you grow? How can I help develop a competency that's really strong for you? How can I help you compensate for something that you're not well-developed in? And that kind of curiosity, passion to know people and to help them be a full expression of their potential, I think that comes from inside the leader, an innate desire to see people at their best. I also found personally, when I started getting to know this framework with you a few years ago, I found it useful for personal development. These were four dimensions yes. that really resonated with me in terms of helping me understand where I was strong, as well as where I was getting my energy and maybe where I was overutilizing a competency. I think early in my career in particular, the warrior competency was one that I overused and it burned me out a little bit. <laughs> yes, right. That's the thing, right? You see, with the imbalance, too much focus on getting stuff done, not enough focus on the connection and support. Yeah, it can be challenging for people. And you can, in many ways, see what's happening for people just by listening to their stories and then say, oh, I can see that. One thing I think is really important in working with people is that you're always looking for not what's wrong, but what's emerging. So we want to see people there's an opportunity to grow this capacity. It's not really that you had a problem. You were too oriented in warrior. It's more that you had an opportunity to grow your capacity to connect and to grow in particular in your case, you know, over the years, you've grown your confidence a lot. So now you inspire people to go for something bigger just by your presence. People want more. They feel like they can give more of themselves. And that's made you such a more effective leader. But it's always like growing a piece. It's not like correcting the personality. I'd love to talk more about how to think about the balance across these four areas. So I think from what you're saying and from what we've talked about in the past as well, but I'm interviewing you kind of fresh here and I know the audience is thinking about this yes. fresh perspective. So I'll, I'll sort of talk in a naive way. I think you don't believe that every executive needs to demonstrate all four of these in equal quantities, right? No. What I do think is that every executive should be in touch with how they are in each of these four dimensions. Yes. The skill of being a great leader is the skill of being authentic. So you're not going to try and be the ideal leader. Actually, that's a, a low confidence expression. I, I don't believe in who I am. I feel like I've got to try and be some model of what other people think I should be. 
And that's actually detrimental to leadership. So I really hesitate to tell people, yeah, there's an ideal here. There's a map in which you can understand yourself more fully and then leverage your strengths and find other people who are strong in the areas where you're weak. I think that's the most powerful thing a leader can do is just talk to other people, find out where you're strong and leverage that and find out where you're weak and find other people who can help you with that. Yes. So I think what this means then is that if you are a CEO or founder recruiting your first head of sales, one of the things you should look at is what's the combined set of energies across these four categories that you and these head of sales candidates each you know, represent. Because what the person that might be the best head of sales for you is not necessarily the person that's the best head of sales for someone else. Exactly. And you don't just want to say, I'm no good at sales, I need a salesperson. You want to say, I'm actually very good at getting people excited about a vision. And I want a salesperson who's really good at grounding that and bringing that into an actual transaction, for example. I think that's so powerful. One of the things I I often find in working with executive teams is that there's a lot of focus on who's covering which metrics to make sure, you know, all of us together are covering the full financial dashboard or operational dashboard. And there's definitely focus on, do we get along? But there's not often a lot of focus on for the types of energies that we as a team need to demonstrate, we have them covered. Just to make this like a little bit more practical. And I mentioned this actually when I interviewed Steve Sloan from Contentful a couple months ago. There are a few, I think, key activities or behaviors that executive teams need to have, especially as you scale, that are often not directly assigned to like one particular function. And so sometimes they end up not getting done. For example, cheerleading. Yes. Being someone who's rallying employees, rallying your customers, rallying investors, getting everyone excited, being, you know, a kind of enthusiastic spokesperson for your company. Some founders are that way, but some are not. And particularly, you know, I tend to work with a lot of companies with technical products where there are technical founders. Some of those technical founders are, they love being cheerleaders. Others don't, you know, have that energy or you're not drawn to that energy. And so it might not be that your head of sales, for example, has to have that energy, but maybe it's your head of people or maybe it's your head of marketing or head of customer. Someone else has to kind of exhibit that energy. You know, related practical deficiency I found is there needs to be someone at your company who can meet one-on-one with senior people at your customers, assuming you have some kind of top-down motion. You might be a PLG company primarily, but maybe you have bigger customers. There got to be someone at your company who can get on the phone with a senior person at your customer and ask for forgiveness, ask them for their help, build rapport with them in order to pave the way for the practitioner at their company to work closely with the more junior people at your company. And, you know, going back to your framework, that might be the connection energy that someone needs to demonstrate, or maybe it's the confidence one. But it's something that, like, again, doesn't necessarily belong in a particular functional job description. It's just that someone at your company needs to demonstrate it. Yes. I think there's always things, whether it's external, like you're saying, with, with, with a major customer or internal with either a troublesome or an important performing employee. The challenge is for the leader to pay attention. And I think you know that I suggest a, a Sunday practice and a Friday practice for leaders. So the Sunday practice is when you think about people, maybe there's four or five people that you, you write on a list and just for 20 minutes, make notes about what's going on for them. What are their gifts, strengths, talents, and qualities? What are their challenges? How might I help them? 
develop grow, or is there an intervention, a conversation I need to have with an important customer? It's about taking that meditative thinking time to pay attention to what's going on with the people in your world, inside and outside the company. And then the Friday practice is, is reviewing the week and seeing how well did I do at the things that I thought could help this person or this situation, holding yourself accountable to the actions that you see you need or the, the support that you want to give to people or get from people. And I think that's really important. It isn't just about like running through week after week after week. It's about great leaders are the ones who stop, pay attention, think about what's going on, and then act on what they see. I want to talk about how your distribution across these four categories might change with how senior you are or maybe how old you are. I think people don't often like talk about age, but certainly I find I've changed over time. I don't know if that's sort of a universal thing that people change in a way that when they age, but do you notice any kind of pattern in that way? There kind of are patterns sometimes, but mostly I think it's better. I encourage leaders just to look off a blank slate. So don't necessarily expect somebody to become less oriented in power, more oriented in correction as they grow older. And men and women actually tend to grow in different ways, according to some studies. So what I do is I encourage leaders just to look at what they see. And I think you can trust your own perception of how somebody is growing or where somebody has a need or where somebody could do with just being appreciated for their greatness. If you're in the business of making other people feel confident about how great they are, feel like how much they've got to give and to be wanting to grow in areas where they can benefit from doing work or getting training or whatever. If you're just, as I said before, curious and passionate about that, you'll see it in people. Yes. That's, I think, what does happen. As you become more senior, it becomes more important how much you pay attention, how big of a growth mindset you carry into your team Mm -hmm. by wanting people to grow and talking to them about how they're developing as human beings and as leaders and making them feel like you really care about who they are and how they're emerging as people and what they're realizing in terms of their competence. Yes. I think most folks listening to this podcast will love what you just said. I think applying that in the reality that we're in often, which is a chaotic, very fast-moving environment can be difficult. Particularly, I mentioned seniority as in my question because I often notice leaders expecting their junior employees to primarily exercise the power dimension in terms of being a warrior, getting stuff done, just get it done. But as you know, every person is different and it might be that a junior employee is naturally gravitating more toward connection or more toward confidence. And so sometimes with junior employees, they're almost like a shell of themselves at work because- yes. They're not given the permission to actually fully, even par- sometimes partially, realize themselves. But at the same time, I've been in a position where I need just need folks to get stuff done. And I'm, and you know, if you're a first line manager, you're held accountable for your ability to just get people to get stuff done. So how do you reconcile that tension? First of all, I say again, if you can not just have your people get stuff done at the level they're currently at, but if you can grow their capacity to get more done. Then, you know, you're quitting as a leader. More, more stuff is going to happen with less effort. Yes. People grow. So that's why we say people who are passionate about self-realization are more successful. And it's no excuse that there's too much to do or that it's too chaotic or whatever. It's about practices. 
And some of the practices that you, you can do to grow just take a short moment. They don't actually interfere with your day. You just take 10 seconds to look at something. Or as I say, like you talked about um, senior people using junior people. And one of the practices we have on our uh, Newman Adopt Team website under our approach is the feedback practice, which is something I recommend for, for leaders, especially if they want to grow awareness. But you can have barometers in your team and people love to be asked to do that. I want you to watch me and see how I'm doing in connection or watch me and see how I'm doing in power and help, you know, leaders can use the people in their team to help them become more aware of the impact that they're having. And that as a byproduct also grows the people in the team and makes them feel closer and more involved and makes the whole thing feel more like it's a, a human organism that's growing, not just a machine. I want to come back to the set of expectations that you and I outlined a number of years ago. It's probably five or six years ago when I was at Gainsight. I, I was in the moment trying to help the executives reporting to me grow as leaders. I didn't want them to just be functional leaders. Exactly. Which might be maybe what you need, you know, at a director level. I wanted them to do the things that a lot of CEOs and COOs want, which is have them act more strategic, have them inspire their teams, not just get stuff done, but really empower their team members to do better things longer term. These are the kind of the words that we tend to use, right? When we're trying to like up level an executive and ensure that you don't have to layer over them as well as, you know, what you want when you hire an executive, you want to see them really like grow as a leader. I think I was noticing some deficiencies like certain team members on particular teams might escalate to me, you know, about a manager, or I was noticing that in updates that team members were giving, there was often a list of tactical things they were working on, but it wasn't necessarily like tied back to the broader strategy. These are just a few examples. So I was thinking, how can I kind of communicate? Here's what it looks like to be an executive, particularly since an executive at a $25 million era company, we need different things from that person when our company gets to be 50 million, but it's going to be the same person. You're effectively like promoting them as you just keep them in, in the same role. So I was thinking about up-leveling and I, I think I went to you and said, this four-part framework really resonates with me. Can we map expectations back to it? You know, now in retrospect, I'm sort of wondering, was that the right approach? Because to your point, we shouldn't necessarily be expecting every person to exhibit the same strengths in all four of these dimensions. On the other hand, I think it's a really useful framework for helping people sort of fully realize themselves. So what do you think about using the four-part framework to set expectations for people? So I think it really does help people to give them a direction to go in. And I think it's more helpful to give them four directions to go in than just to say, you know, it's one direction, be a better leader somehow. This, this helps you expand in different ways. I recommend people choose the direction that they're strongest in to work on and the direction that they're weakest in to work on. So not necessarily work on all of them, but there's going to be good benefit you'll get from paying attention to where you think you're lowest and then good benefit you'll get from how can I leverage what my natural gift, talents, and strength really is. And I do think, if I may just add to that, I think people already know how they want to grow. And so part of the skill of the leader is to get that out of the person. You can use language like king, warrior, magician, lover, or some awareness, power, confidence, connection, something that helps people get an understanding of the range of that growth can happen in. But what you really want to do is to, how do you see your potential? 
who are you in your full potential? As a leader, if you know that about your junior people, and maybe you can map it onto something, but you've evoked in them a desire to fulfill that potential just by having them express it in their own language. It also, I think, brings me back to something you said earlier in the conversation, which is that developing your abilities as, as an executive starts with self-awareness, which, you know, awareness being the first competency. And I think it's a delight to coach someone who is self-aware. Yes. It's very hard to coach someone who's not self-aware. And it makes me wonder, you know, should we be hiring executives first and foremost based on their self-awareness? Which, by the way, I think in common startup culture is not something that we necessarily explicitly talk about all all that much. And actually, if anything, you know, in certain roles, you might just want someone who's like, you know, you might think you want someone who's just a gunner, which may not be maybe counter to like the goal of finding someone who's self-aware. So what do you think? Well, people talk about a culture fit. I think you look at all four. I don't think you just hire for self-awareness. I think you want to hire people who are effective, therefore powerful. You want to hire people who believe and are capable of creating a kind of a buoyant atmosphere around them who add to the sense of belief in the team as a whole. You don't want just negative people. And you want people who who are fun, who are connected, who are in touch with their own feelings. So I think you're, you're looking at it all. And then if you're putting together a team, you're looking at the balance of all people. So you suddenly realize, yeah, we've got a lot of people who are just like in their heads the whole time focusing, very high awareness, but that not very good at actually connecting. Then maybe we need to put some people in there that are good at connecting or do some things together that help with the connection. It's very much about an evolving picture rather than a form that you just impose and, and it's going to work on all situations. Absolutely. In that framework that we put together about expectations for executive competencies, within each of those four categories, we had put a time dimension. So we said, you know, for, let's say for awareness, for example, there's going to be a way that you need to be aware of the past, aware of the present, aware of the future. And then I'll make a link to it in the post. But folks can also see, you know, for the power dimension, you need to be powerful with respect to the past, the present, future. And we talk about more specifically what that means. But I wonder for you, Why do you think it was important to include that time dimension? And we evolved that together. I remember when we were working on it, and I think we were noticing that you could have people who were competent in one way, but they weren't very skillful, let's say, with understanding how we got here. And the past dimension can be either how we got here in terms of you know the tasks evolving or the people evolving. But sometimes I think uh, using a model like that can just help people see They get stuck. They think that good performance is going to be within this narrow dimension. I've got to be effective in the present. I've got to be effective in the present. The future doesn't matter. And and what I like doing is to lift people so that they can see a bigger context. While maybe I'm really good at understanding how we got here, but I'm not very good at inspiring people about where we go. And then that tells you, well, I want to develop that or find people who can help me so that the whole team is more balanced in that way. So... I encourage people to use whatever language works for them, but this certainly helps. How do I apply this in the past dimension? How do I apply it in the present dimension? How do I apply it in the future dimension? Helps people see where and how they need to grow and helps people free up self-defeating concepts that may be limiting them. I love that idea of lifting people up. That resonates, I think, in a lot of ways. Yes. David, we're almost out of time here, so I'd love to know what's one final tip or suggestion you would have to CEOs and founders? 
first of all, be passionate about growing the capacity of your people. And that really means helping them be more fully themselves. And I want to leave people with the power of simple practices. If you do carve out for yourself 20 minutes every Sunday with a piece of paper where you make notes about your people, what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? How can I help? How is this person challenged? What do they need from me? It's the act of paying attention, which will help you as a leader or an executive become a really competent coach who helps grow the the self-realization of the people they work with. I love that so much. This is so fun, David. Thank you for joining us. And I hope we can do this again someday. Me too.